Welcome back to Spoonful of Sugar. Today, we're excited to have back one of our season two hosts, Aditi Katari, to give you guys a thorough review of Ascites. Hope you enjoy. Hey, future doctors. Thanks for tuning in to Spoonful of Sugar, a podcast made for medical students by medical students to help the medicine go down. My name is Aditi Kothari and I'm going to be your host today. Today, we will discuss ascites. We will start by discussing the mechanism with which ascites develops, followed by the clinical features, evaluation, complications and treatment. I will be asking lots of questions and I encourage you all to actively think and come up with your own reasoning. It doesn't matter if you get it wrong because that's how we learn. So let's begin. What is ascites? It is the accumulation of fluid within the peritoneal cavity. The most common cause of ascites is portal hypertension from liver cirrhosis. This accounts for 84% of the ascites cases. There are other causes of ascites like Can you name some of the other causes? These are congestive cardiac failure, constrictive pericarditis, peritoneal carcinomatosis, pancreatitis, nephrotic syndrome, Pat-Chiari syndrome, tuberculosis and others. What is the mechanism with which ascites occurs? Since liver cirrhosis is the most common cause, we will be discussing its mechanism here. In liver cirrhosis, due to portal hypertension, there is an increase in the circulating levels of nitric oxide, which leads to splenchnic vasodilation. This leads to a decrease in the effective circulating volume, which is perceived by the kidneys as hypovolemia, due to which there occurs an activation of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system which in turn causes sodium and free water retention, leading to ascites. Understanding this mechanism is important not only to impress your attendings, but it has a nice tie-in with the treatment which we will discuss at the end of this session. Now, as for the mechanism of some of the other causes, in case of peritoneal carcinomatosis, the cancer cells line the peritoneum and secrete a protein-rich fluid which contributes to ascites. Similarly, this is also the mechanism of ascites in tuberculosis wherein the tubercles line the peritoneal cavity and secrete a protein-rich fluid into the peritoneal cavity. What are the clinical features of ascites? How will a patient with ascites present? Patients usually complain of an increase in the girth of their abdomen. This may be accompanied by other manifestations like hematomasis in case of liver cirrhosis. If there is a large collection of ascitic fluid, then patients may also complain of shortness of breath. Do you know why this occurs? 
This is seen because of a condition called the hepatic hydrothorax. There are small defects in the diaphragm through which the peritoneal fluid moves into the pleural cavity and causes fluid accumulation leading to pleural effusion and hence the shortness of breath. Do you know which side is this most commonly seen? It is the right side. Can you tell me the reason behind this? This is because the hemidiaphragm is thinner on the right side. Also, tell me what kind of effusion will this be? Exudative or transudative? It is the transudative type of pleural effusion. Moving on to evaluation, let's start with the physical examination. Mainly, palpation and percussion are used to evaluate ascites. With the patient in supine position with ascites, there should be periumbilical tympani with dullness in the flanks. This is because the ascitic fluid begins to accumulate in the flanks. We mark the level of dullness on the skin and then turn the patient on one side for a full minute. A change in the level of dullness is termed shifting dullness and it usually indicates a fluid level of more than 500 ml. Another physical sign of ascites is demonstration of a transmitted fluid wave. This is done by placing the patient's hand pressed firmly against the abdominal wall in the umbilical region. We then place the flat of the left hand on the right flank and tap the left flank with the right hand. In the presence of ascites, a sharp tap will generate a pressure wave that will be transmitted to the left hand. Now, What are some investigations that you would like to do? We first perform an ultrasound to confirm the diagnosis. Now, whenever a patient presents with abdominal distension, what are some causes of this abdominal distension? These are traditionally called the five F's of generalized abdominal distension. Can you name those five F's? These are fat, fluid, flatus, feces and fetus. So whenever there is abdominal distension, it is due to either of these five causes. And it is fluid in case of ascites. Now after doing the ultrasound, we perform paracentesis, wherein we draw the fluid using a needle from the peritoneal cavity. Now do you know what the best or the most common location to draw acidic fluid is? It is generally drawn from the left lower quadrant. And do you know the reason behind this? This is because maximum fluid collection occurs here and the abdominal wall is the thinnest here. Now after drawing the acidic fluid, 
what are some tests that you would like to perform on this fluid these are acidic fluid albumin total protein cell count with differential and culture this leads to a very important concept of the serum acidic fluid albumin gradient this can be compared to the transudative versus exudative of pleural effusion determining whether it is a transudative or exudative effusion can help us understand the mechanism of pleural effusion and also help us rule in or rule out certain causes similarly determining the serum acidic fluid albumin gradient can help differentiate between various causes of ascites now this is a very important concept and if you are at a place where you can write this down i suggest grab a paper and pen and start making a flow chart as i explain now if you cannot write then i suggest you close your eyes and try to focus and listen carefully however if you are listening to this podcast while driving i would not recommend you do either of the above still you will understand it i promise now what is serum acetic fluid albumin gradient its formula is serum albumin minus acetic fluid albumin in essence this determines the pressure within the portal venous system let's divide this into two main categories the first is the high gradient category that is a serum acetic fluid albumin gradient greater than 1.1 grams per dl the other is a low gradient category that is a gradient lower than 1.1 grams per dl now coming to the first category the high gradient category whenever the serum acetic fluid albumin gradient is high it indicates that there is portal hypertension here the gradient is high because of a decrease in the acetic fluid albumin say for example compare this formula and compare 10 minus 4 to 10 minus 6 10 minus 4 is a bigger number than 10 minus 6 similarly whenever the acetic fluid albumin decreases the gradient increases and it's greater than 1.1 Can you tell me some causes of a high gradient ascites? These are liver cirrhosis, alcoholic hepatitis, blood clotting, portal vein thrombosis, and cardiac ascites. In cirrhosis, this can be explained by the fact that there is fibrosis of the sinusoids, which prevents the albumin from leaking into the abdomen. and because of liver cirrhosis there is an increase in the resistance to blood flow into the liver which causes the pressure within the portal venous system to rise this increased hydrostatic pressure in the portal vein leads to fluid entering the peritoneal cavity and thus leading to ascites in case of cardiac ascites this can be explained by an increase in the back pressure in the venous system due to accumulation of blood in the venous system 
This increased hydrostatic pressure will cause fluid leakage into the peritoneal cavity. This includes congestive cardiac failure where because of an impaired blood entering the right ventricle and impaired contraction of right ventricle there is the increased back pressure into the venous system. Similarly, in hepatic vein thrombosis and inferior vena cava thrombosis, there is the increased blood accumulating behind the thrombus leading to an increase in the hydrostatic pressure which pushes the fluid into the peritoneal cavity. Another cause is constrictive pericarditis where there is restriction to blood flow into the right chambers of the heart which again causes increase in the back pressure in the vena system leading to ascites. Now let's divide this high gradient ascites into two further categories. The first is a low total acetic fluid protein that is protein values less than 2.5 grams per dl. The other category is a high total acetic fluid protein that is total protein greater than 2.5 grams per dl. So where will ascites, where will cirrhosis fall? It is the low protein ascites because in cirrhosis due to fibrosis none of the proteins are able to leak into the peritoneal cavity and so the ascites will be a low protein one. What's the other one? A high total acetic fluid protein. And what are the causes of this? This includes all the cardiac causes of ascites like congestive cardiac failure, hepatic vein thrombosis, IVC thrombosis and constrictive pericarditis. Here the backflow of blood causes an increase in the hydrostatic pressure which will push the proteins into the acetic fluid. So it leads to a high total acetic fluid protein ascites. Theoretically, when the acetic fluid is drawn and the results reveal a high gradient ascites, then the total protein can be used to differentiate whether liver cirrhosis is the cause where the total protein will be less than 2.5 or it's a cardiac cause where the total protein will be greater than 2.5 grams per dl. In summary, ascites can be divided into a high serum acetic fluid albumin gradient and a low serum acetic fluid albumin gradient. The high gradient ascites can be further divided into two parts. The first is a low total protein which includes liver cirrhosis as the main cause and the second is a high total protein ascites and the main examples here are all the cardiac causes of ascites like congestive cardiac failure, hepatic vein thrombosis, IVC thrombosis and constrictive pericarditis. Now moving on to the second category or the low serum acetic fluid albumin gradient category. Here the gradient is less than 1.1 grams per dl and low gradient implies that there is no portal hypertension here. 
Can you think of a few examples for this? These are peritoneal carcinomatosis, pancreatic ascites, peritoneal TB, nephrotic syndrome and biliary ascites. Now how will we explain this low gradient? Think of the formula for serum acetic fluid albumin gradient. This serum albumin minus acetic fluid albumin. So in order for the gradient to be low, it can either be due to a decrease in the serum albumin or an increase in the acetic fluid albumin. So think of a condition where the serum albumin decreases. What is that condition? It is seen in case of nephrotic syndrome wherein the body loses albumin through kidneys and now the other option is the acetic fluid albumin increases and this will be seen in cases where due to inflammation or other causes the sinusoids become leaky and lead to an increase in the albumin in acetic fluid. This will be seen in cases like peritoneal carcinomatosis tuberculosis and pancreatic ascites. Now here the low gradient ascites can again be divided into two further categories. The first is the low total protein ascites and here the example is nephrotic syndrome and the other is the high total acetic fluid protein ascites where the examples are tuberculosis malignancy, bacterial peritonitis and pancreatic ascites. Here in all of these causes there is active secretion of proteins into the acetic fluid and hence the total acetic fluid protein is more greater than 2.5. In summary the second category is the low serum acetic fluid albumin gradient that is a gradient less than 1.1 grams per dl. This can further be divided into two main categories. The first is a low total acetic fluid protein that is protein values less than 2.5 grams per dl and the main example here is nephrotic syndrome. The other category is a high total acetic fluid protein that is the protein values greater than 2.5 grams per dl and the examples here are tuberculosis, malignancy, bacterial peritonitis and pancreatic ascites. Now I'll mention a category and you give me the examples of the conditions that fall in those categories. First one is a high gradient and high total protein ascites. What's the example here? This includes all the cardiac causes of ascites like congestive cardiac failure, but chiari and pericarditis. Second, a low gradient and low total protein ascites. What's the example here? 
nephrotic syndrome. Now let's reverse this. I'll mention some examples and you tell me which category they fall in. First, liver cirrhosis. This falls under a high gradient and low total protein ascites. Second example, peritoneal tuberculosis. This falls under a low gradient and high total acetic fluid protein. Okay, moving on to some complications of ascites. Spontaneous bacterial peritonitis or SPP is one of the serious complications with a 25% in hospital mortality rate. This is the complication which we are actively trying to rule out in a patient with ascites who has been admitted on the floor. What is SBP? It is defined as a polymorphonuclear neutrophil count greater than 250 per microliters of acetic fluid. The mechanism here is translocation of the bacteria from the bowel wall into the acetic fluid. The common culprit organisms here are E. coli and Klebsiella. Patients may have symptoms like fever or abdominal pain, but sometimes they may not present with any of these symptoms and so it is absolutely essential to rule this out and it is done by calculating the absolute neutrophil count and if it is greater than 250 per microliters of acetic fluid and we diagnose it as spontaneous bacterial peritonitis. Now coming to management of SBP, it is treated with IV cephalosporins usually for 5 days. Now there are certain conditions where we do a prophylaxis against SBP. Do you know what those conditions are? It is usually done for patients with a prior history of SBP. In patients with active GI bleed and when the acidic fluid total protein is less than 1 gram per dl. These are the patients who require prophylaxis against SPP and it is usually with fluoroquinolones like norfloxacin. Moving on to the management of cirrhotic ascites. This is usually done with sodium restriction and for drugs we use pyronolactone with furosemide. Now remember, we discussed the mechanism of ascites. It is due to the activation of renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. And here, these drugs counteract it, its effect. Spironolactone blocks the effect of aldosterone on renal tubules. And furosemide prevents the sodium deabsorption from thick ascending limb of the loop of Henle. This will lead to a decrease in the sodium reabsorption and subsequently a decrease in the free water reabsorption and thus decrease the ascites. Now can you think of some drugs that we avoid in a patient with ascites? 
these are ACE inhibitors, angiotensin receptor blockers and NSAIDs. Can you think of a reason why we avoid these drugs? To understand this reason, the effect of renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system is twofold. One is through sodium retention through aldosterone and the other effect is arterial vasoconstriction through angiotensin. Now, in managing ascites, you want to eliminate the sodium reabsorption effect without disturbing the vasoconstrictive effect. This is because here there is planking vasodilation and a decrease in the effective circulating volume with decrease in the renal perfusion. Now, if we remove the vasoconstrictive effect of angiotensin, then there will be a further decrease in renal perfusion and it may precipitate an acute kidney injury. So, we avoid ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers. Similarly, in case of NSAIDs, it will cause the vasoconstriction of the afferent arterioles and decrease the perfusion to kidneys and it may precipitate acute kidney injury. So these three categories of drugs are avoided in patients of ascites. Now I will give you some scenarios with a little history of patients and you try to come up with a probable cause of ascites in those patients. So first case scenario, a 76 year old male patient with a 20 year history of hypertension and complaints of a progressive shortness of breath and dyspnea which is now occurring at rest. On examination there is distended abdomen. There is no past history of alcohol use or any liver conditions. What could be a probable cause of ascites in this patient? This looks like a case of cardiac ascites, a patient's long-standing history of hypertension and development of symptoms of shortness of breath and dyspnea points towards a diagnosis of congestive cardiac failure and ascites developing due to that. So can you tell me which category does this ascites fall into? What is the gradient and the total acetic fluid protein here? It is a high serum acetic fluid albumin gradient and a high total protein ascites. Okay, the second scenario. Here, a 42-year-old man with a history of chronic alcoholism presents with a recent onset of severe epigastric abdominal pain and abdominal distension. He has had multiple admissions related to alcohol intoxication and seizures. Acetic fluid analysis reveals a high total protein and high amylase levels. What could be the probable cause of ascites here? This looks like a case of pancreatic ascites, patient's history of alcoholism, 
along with the acidic fluid values of high amylase points towards this diagnosis. Now what will be the serum acidic fluid albumin gap here? Will it be less than or greater than 1.1 grams per dl? It will be less than 1.1 grams per dl. Third scenario, a 42 year old woman presents with abdominal pain and abdominal distension which began 4 weeks ago and has progressively increased. She also notes few episodes of dizziness, headaches and occasional blurred vision. On blood work, her hemoglobin was found to be 20 grams per dl. What could be a probable cause of ascites here? This looks like a case of Budd-Chiari syndrome. The patient's elevated hemoglobin levels along with her symptoms of dizziness and blurred vision points towards a diagnosis of polycythemia vera and as a complication of polycythemia vera, Budd-Chiari syndrome has developed and it leads to ascites. Now, which category will this fall into? This is a case of a high serum acetic fluid albumin gradient and a high total acetic fluid protein. This brings us to the end of this session. I hope this session helped clear some of the concepts in regard to ascites. Thank you very much for listening. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe to our podcast. If you have any questions, comments or concerns, visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org and post them under the link for this episode. Good luck with studying and remember that if you ever have an SOS moment while studying, Spoonful of Sugar is always here to help the medicine go down. Thank you.